Legal Experts, a podcast series from Radio Verulam in association with Stowe Family Law. In episode 6, Sarah Snow talks to Phil Richards about annulling a marriage, inheritance and estates, parental access after divorce, sharing assets in common law relationships and intestacy rules. Only 2.6 FM and uh, great to have your company. And we're chatting on the phone, as promised, now with Stowe Family Law's Sarah Snow. Hi there, good morning. Hi, good morning. How's things? Yeah, good, thank you. Right, let's dive straight into the first question then. Um, First of all, I recently went to Las Vegas with a close friend of mine. We went to the casinos, had a great time, had a drink or two, and ended up getting married as a joke for... A hundred dollars, and now uh, we realise we made a big mistake. Can we have this marriage cancelled? And if so, how do we go about it? Well, unfortunately, in this circumstance, there's no easy, quick fix. So, if we were firstly to look at a divorce, which might seem like the most obvious solution, then they're going to have to wait for 12 months because it's not possible in in the laws under England and Wales to get divorced until you've been married for at least 12 months. But there are some other options. It may well be possible for them to secure an annulment. And in those circumstances, it would mean that the marriage was treated as though it never happened. Um, They could make this petition immediately. They wouldn't have to wait for the 12 months. But there are a few hoops that they would have to jump through um, and some matters that would need to be determined as to whether they were eligible for an annulment. So firstly, there are two types of categories um, which would be applicable for a nullity petition. And they are whether the marriage is either void or voidable. There's there's a distinction between the two. So a void marriage is one that's treated as never having taken place. So, for example, in circumstances where one party might be underage or there's bigamy, um, i.e. one party is already married, um, or the legal requirements for the marriage were not met in the country that they got married in. But in this circumstance, there's no suggestion that the marriage would be considered to be void. It may, however, be voidable, um, and that's where a marriage could be nullified in circumstances where there's a lack of valid consent. Now, they've mentioned that they were quite intoxicated, um, and therefore that might be seen as um, a, a potential ground upon which they could rely upon, because there was intoxication. So drunkenness or other forms of intoxication, i.e. via drugs, may well be a ground to invalidate the party's consent. So if they could establish that the marriage was voidable, then they would need to make an application to nullify the marriage with the court. Um, and once they did this, it would be if it was granted by the court, it would be treated as though the marriage had never happened. Um, but there are financial remedies and consequences that flow from such a petition. So it's important for them to note that even if they are able to establish that the marriage didn't take place and they are able to deal with it sooner than the 12 months, um, requirement for a divorce, there still could be potential financial um, obligations to either spouse if one party wished to make a claim. So, unfortunately, it's a very um, expensive mistake to yeah. make and not something to easily get out of, I'm afraid. I think there's some wishful thinking there also, a, a hint of it, that they're hoping that maybe just because it was one of those quickies in America that maybe it doesn't actually count in Britain. But that's not the case, of course not the case and you know they they have married if they've legally married in Las Vegas under the laws of Nevada um, and that's all been complied with then you know it's not simply a case of just clicking your fingers and getting out of it there are 
requirements and applications and consequences to, to make, but consequences that flow from that. So, um, you know, quite a quite a big mistake to Indeed. make, unfortunately. Right, next question. My mother has recently passed away, leaving her sister in the house that they have both lived in for 53 years. And does my mother's sister have any right of abode uh, that would stop us from selling the house as instructed in my mother's will? Okay, so in this circumstance, with this uh, particular um, lady, her aunt might have two possible options to challenge the terms of her mother's will. So firstly, she might issue a claim under the Inheritance Act, um, and that is a claim for uh, to request that reasonable provision be made for her. Um, and one of the orders the court could make would be to give the aunt the right to live in the house for a lifetime or until she voluntarily leaves the property. Um, but the court would look at her circumstances and um, whether, for example, there was a dependency between the two sisters. Um, secondly, um, the aunt might seek a declaration that although she's not actually on the title to the property, um, she has developed um, an interest and a special right over the equity in the property. Um, now, that might be established if she can say that she paid money towards the, um, the mortgage or the upkeep or the renovation or if um, this lady's mother had actually promised her that um, she would always be able to stay in the house um, and the aunt relied on that promise. Um, but ultimately, the aunt could potentially just sit tight in the property and actually create quite a headache for the executors of the will, um, and they would have to then bring proceedings to, to remove her from the property. So not um, not an easy solution there either, I'm afraid. No, quite an interesting one. I split up with my wife eight months ago. She, really, she relocated with my uh, son 120 miles away and won't let me see him. And I've tried to be reasonable, but it's not working. So what can we do from a legal point of view? Yeah, unfortunately, this is quite a common, common issue that we see in a number of our clients. Um, now, the first approach, you might want to consider contacting a mediator. Um, now, I appreciate that he's tried to speak with his ex-partner uh, ex directly, but it might be that she responds better to an independent third party who can help bridge the gulf between them both. Um, they don't even necessarily have to sit in the same room in mediation. If this doesn't work, the mediator will sign a certificate to the court saying that the mediation hasn't been successful. Um, and at that point, he could proceed with an application for a child arrangements order. That's an application to the court um, to make an order that um, they make a determination as to who the child should live with or the amount of time they'll spend with either party. Um, it's quite a long process and it's an expensive process and it might involve several hearings, but the court is very much focused on trying to get the parties to engage in discussions, get them to reach an agreement between themselves that's in the best interest of their child. Now, ultimately, if that doesn't work, then the court will make a determination. They would likely be guided by a CAFCAS officer. Um, CAFCAS stands for Children and Family Court Advisory and Support Service, which is quite a, quite a mouthful, but that is essentially um, the eyes and ears of the court and they will provide recommendation. They'll meet with the family, they'll meet with the child, um, and, and ultimately, the court's paramount consideration is going to be the welfare of the child. Um, 
but really Parliament have set down within the Children Act that there is a presumption that the child shall have um, a relationship with both parents. So ultimately, they're going to do what they can to facilitate that arrangement, and it would be better for the parents to come to a conclusion and an, an agreement between themselves rather than have something imposed upon them. Right, thank you. Moving on, last two then, and uh, I have bought seven properties with my ex-boyfriend over the past five years, and we've now split up and are living apart. I uh, put significantly more into these investments uh, than my ex-boyfriend who uh, wants to split the assets 50-50, which I think is unfair, and what can I do from a legal perspective to ensure a fair settlement on both sides, and given that we didn't enter into any legal agreement before we bought the properties. So, there. Yeah, <laughs> what a muddle. A tricky, <laughs> quite a tricky issue, really, and I think there's, there's quite a a common presumption that there is this sort of uh, common law man and wife um, legal entitlement in the UK and it really, you know, can't stress enough that that's not the case. There's actually no statutory protection in place for cohabitees. They don't have the same rights as married couples, so they don't have any protection under uh, an overarching statutory legislation such as the Matrimonial Causes Act. Cohabitees have to rely on specific legislation and in this case it would be um, trust law um, and the, the, the lady in this um, scenario would have to make a claim under a trust of law and appointment of trustees act which, what law, which is what lawyers call um, a talata claim. So under such an um, application the court would look at how the properties are owned between the parties. Initially, they're going to look at what the title says, and they generally don't go beyond what's stated in the title unless either party can show um, that there was a common intention and agreement that they would be splitting the equity in the property and their interest in a proportion different to that shown on the title documents. Um, now, in this case, the unequal financial contributions of this um, lady may well demonstrate that. But, you know, ultimately, litigation is an expensive route to go down. It's sensible to firstly try and reach an agreement um, if, they, if she can do that with her ex-partner. And again, that might include going to mediation because it's really always important to weigh up the proportionality of litigation versus the financial and emotional costs that, um, uh, that she, considering what she may or may not gain from the litigation. And in this type of civil litigation, it's very much a gamble because there are cost consequences involved um, if she does lose. So she really needs to take some legal advice. But ultimately, I think the, the sort of the key message that I'd get out is that if, if the parties do not want to marry, they need to be very clear and have it very well documented how they wish to own their property. Right. Um, because there's nothing, there's no current statutory protection for cohabitees to protect them in the event of a relationship breakdown. 92.6 of M Radio Verlum. We're doing our monthly uh, feature on family uh, family law with Stowe Family Laws, Sarah Snow. Uh, Final question, Sarah, then. Uh, A friend of mine has recently passed away, leaving a house and a small sum in savings. He hasn't left a will and has no family. What happens to his assets in this situation? Okay, well, in this situation, when someone dies and there's, um, there's no will, there is special rules that are laid down by the government called intestacy rules. And within that, those rules, there's a determination as to what happens to the estate. Um, now, this person says that there's no family, but they might be talking about the fact that there's no immediate family, such as a spouse, parents, or children. But the law does require an investigation of wider families, such as 
aunts, uncles, cousins. Um, so it may well be that upon further investigation that um, there is some relatives that the estate could pass to. Only in the case where there's no blood relatives would, would the estate of this person pass to the Crown or the state. Right. How far does it go back that uh, in the sense of law then? Just blood relatives, is it? It does, yeah. Only to blood relatives. All right. Interesting. Very interesting indeed. Well, Sarah, thank you very much for chatting to us uh, about family law issues from Stove Lamb Family Law again. And lovely to uh, chat with you. Thank you very we'll, much. We'll thank speak you. to one of you again in a month's time. We certainly will. Thank, thank you, you very much. All the best. Bye. Cheers.